this is Gene Wilhelm, and today we're going to be looking at the readings for the 14th Sunday in Ordinary Time, which will be read on July 5th, 2020. Uh, before we begin, I want to confess that the reason why this podcast is late today is because I didn't live by what the re- these readings are trying to tell us, and so uh, it, it, I'm late. In general, they, uh, the comment that I would like to have uh, for you is that we need to know whose burden we're trying to carry. Are we trying to carry a burden that God has placed on us, a burden that somebody else has placed on us, or one that we have placed on ourselves? And that goes with that is whose voice are you listening to? And, And I'm going to read from the, we're going to start today with the gospel because that's really where the meat of this is. In all three readings this this time, uh, really kind of tie together in a way, uh, which is usually the case because, as, as you know, or you may not know, but you should know uh, if you don't, that the in cycle A, we are reading through the gospel of Matthew during ordinary time. And right now, we're reading through the letter to the Romans for our second reading, and we typically march through one of the epistles uh, when we're in ordinary time. And the first reading is somehow related to the gospel. So let's start with the gospel, and this is from Matthew eleven twenty-five to thirty. And this this is a very important thing that Jesus is saying, particularly the last part, which really applies to this. And, and the first part applies too in a way because of what it says. Says he, he, first of all, he praises his father. He says, although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned. Now, who are the wise and the learned in his day? Those are the intellectuals. They're the Pharisees and the scribes. They know all the mechanics of the scriptures. They know the 613 laws uh, that, that they have constructed for themselves out of the scriptures. Uh, and they observe them carefully. So, in their minds... They are the holy ones because they keep all the rules. And anybody who's poor and uneducated can't keep all the rules because they can't read the scriptures, they don't know the 613 laws, and they probably don't have time to do all the things that are in those 613 laws because they're busy earning a living. So what what is it that is hidden? And then if you look at, let's go back and look at Matthew 1344. Remember, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, what is hidden from us oftentimes is what God is trying to say to us and the message that he has for us. Uh, when I when I read that passage in Matthew 13, I see that the man who found the treasure got his hands dirty because he somehow or other found the treasure in the field. He dug it up, then he buried it again and went off to go buy the field. So it, it, it indicates it's not something, hearing the word of God is not something that, that you, is a passive a pro, a pro, proposition. It's something that we need to be actively engaging in. And the people... Uh, he says, and you reveal them to the little ones. Well, the little ones are those who don't count for anything. They don't, they don't, but they don't have anything to lose, do they? The poor and the needy and, and the, the, the laborers if, that are able to come and listen to Jesus, that are in the throngs that listen to him, have absolutely nothing to lose by listening to him. The Pharisees and the Sadducees 
were in a situation where they might have to give up something that they valued so much. And he says, then, where the question that comes to me at that point in time is that, uh, are you, what is, what is it that's got you all tied up to where you can't hear God speaking to you? And he says, Father, you, in your gracious will, all things have been handed over to him. So he's, he's the one that God has chosen to pass on the knowledge of what, of what God has to say. So the words of Jesus, Jesus is the word of God, and the words of Jesus then are the words of the Father. And he, he says that, that, that knowledge, that the, uh, says no one knows the Son except the Father. And that, that no word know there is a Greek word that really means that you recognize them because some distinguishing characteristic. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal him. <clears throat> the word reveal there, again, is a Greek word that from which we get apocalypse, which is one of the uh, names of the book of Revelation, which apocalypse is a revealing, an uncovering. So Jesus is going to uncover, as the man in the field did, what's hidden in the field. Jesus is going to uncover for us these things that are treasures. Now, the next thing that comes up is the part that is so significant here and uh, that I see as the key to all of the scriptures for this particular week. It says, Come to me, <coughs> pardon me, come to me all you who labor and are burdened. And that word burden there means over, overburdened. It means you've got more than you can handle. And he says, I will give you rest. Well, what in the world is he talking about there? I mean, I'm still, I'm still going to have these burdens, aren't I? Well, I'm going to take a look at uh, uh, two or three scriptures here. One is John 8, 31 and 32. And he says, Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So, if you're feeling burdened, somehow you must feel like you are an ox or, or a donkey or something that has all this stuff that you're having to carry. What Jesus is saying in John 8.31 is that it's in his word that you find the freedom to do what's there. You find the freedom to be able to carry the burdens that you're supposed to be carrying. And then I'm going to go back and I'm going to look at Galatians 5.1, which says from for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand there, uh, fast, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So once we have this freedom in Jesus, and when we speak of freedom, it's not freedom from, which is what a lot of people in our country and this our culture today, and, and maybe the American rugged, rugged individualism teaches, it's your freedom from all these restrictions. And that's not really what freedom means in the scriptures. Freedom in the scriptures means that you are given what is necessary to be able to do the things that you need to be doing, that you should be doing. So Jesus is going to free us of the burdens, the impediments, those things that we are carrying that are so difficult that, that don't give us the freedom of movement to do the things that we should. Paul talks about this too in Philippians 3. Uh, 9 and 10, and I'm going to read from the Jerusalem Bible. The translation there is very different from what you get in most of the Bibles, 
uh, and maybe it's a loose translation, or maybe they used another manuscript. It says, I am no longer trying for perfection from my own, by my own efforts, the perfection that comes from the law, but I want only the perfection that comes through faith in Christ and is from God and based on faith. All I want to know is Christ and the power of his resurrection and to share in his sufferings by reproducing the pattern of his death. So Paul, if you remember, was an, a, a, a Pharisee and a rabbi, and he was all bound up in these 613 laws. He, he had all of those things going on in his life. So in, in, as a result, he was doing things like making sure that Christians got killed and so he had this burden that he was carrying, and he needed to be free of that. It was only through Jesus Christ that he got that freedom. And the perfection that he was looking for is, do I keep all the rules? Can I check off all the things in the boxes? And that is a real burden for all of us if, if we're rule keepers, because that kind of perfection will never happen, because as human beings, we are less than perfect. And imperfection in the New Testament is that process toward what we think of as perfection. It's a process. It's not a destination. So Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. So you will not feel the, the, you will not feel worn out from carrying all these burdens. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, what's interesting to that, to me about that is that a yoke was something that was placed on oxen. But typically, uh, it, there were two oxen in a yoke rather than a single one. And there was a lead ox and there was a an assistant ox. Now, the lead ox was the one that did the bulk of the work. The, the other ox was there to, to, to pull part of the load as well. But it was the lead ox is the one that did most of the heavy lifting. The other thing about a, a yoke for oxen in these days is they were made of wood and they were custom made to fit the oxen that, that was going to be pulling the load. So there's the, there's the side that is custom fitted to Jesus if you're carrying his yoke and the side that is custom fitted to us. If we are taking on the yoke, the burdens that somebody else is placing upon us, or we've decided that we need to take on a certain particular burden and be a certain way, then we probably don't have a custom-made yoke. And the, what happens when you don't have a custom-made yoke and you're an ox is that it doesn't fit and all these things happen where you can be rubbed raw and it's more difficult to carry the load that you're trying to carry because the, the yoke doesn't fit. So Jesus is telling us to take on his yoke and that word for yoke is a Greek word that means a coupling, a being, a balance, something that means implies servitude. So we are to be servants of Jesus Christ, of his Father, and Jesus is going to be there with us to help carry that load. And he says, for I am meek and humble apart. Jesus isn't proud. Pride is something that is a sin. And as Hebrews tells us, he was like us in all things except sin. And that humility means that, that he doesn't have that pride, but he's also meek. And that doesn't mean that he's a, uh, he, he doesn't take care of himself or stand up to people. It means that he is gentle with people. That's the translation in others. And he says, you will find rest for yourselves. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
we can look at a couple of scriptures about that too. Um, the, the yoke being easy and, and light. Uh, one of them that that, uh, that I like and that I'm going to offer to you is uh, Psalm 95, verse 7, beginning with the, the fourth uh, line of that verse through verse 11. And it says, Oh, that today you would listen to his voice. Harden not your hearts as at Mirabah. And Mirabah was where there was a lot of grumbling against God. And Mirabah means quarrel or strife or provocation. As on that day at Massa, which means trial, temptation, testing, in the wilderness. Now, one of the definitions of wilderness that you will find if you look in like a Strong's Concordance is that it was a place where the shepherds took their sheep out to graze. So it, it may seem like a deserted, it can be desert, it means a deserted place, but it's some place where you're, you're taken out to pasture. When you, your fathers, and when I read that, and, and some talk about, some translations say ancestors, and when I read this, I see my old man. And when Paul talks about the old man, he talks about the man that was living in the flesh. When your fathers tested me, so and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. So are you testing God to see whether he's going to do what you want him to do, which was the problem that the Israelites had at this time? And then he says, and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I was wearied with that, of that generation. They are a people who err in heart, and they do not regard my ways. Therefore, in my anger, I swore that they should not enter my rest. The rest was the promised land. So they weren't able to receive the gift that God had for them because they were so rebellious. And so are we? Are we that way too? Are we, each of us, are we allowing Jesus to be the lead ox? Do we not want any ox beside us? Or do we decide that although Jesus is the bigger and the stronger ox in this team, that we're going to do the heavy lifting, that we're going to be the one that's in control. And that takes us immediately back to the first reading. And the first reading is from Zephaniah, or probably Zechariah. And it, it tells us that, uh, <clears throat> that we're to rejoice heartily. It says, O daughter of Zion. Now Zion is the name that is used for Jeru another name for Jerusalem. So it's the center of things. Uh, it is a signpost. It's, it's, it's what's there to tell folks what the kingdom is supposed to be. And the new Jerusalem, of course, is the church. So we are, we're supposed to rejoice heartily when we see what the church is all about, the real church, not the church that we see in the media or the church that we may have in our own minds, but the real church. It says, and rejoices, the word for rejoice there is a Hebrew word that means to spin about. And so if you look at that, what it's really saying is, have a snoopy dance for joy. And so, and then it says to shout for joy. And that is to make, let it all out. The, the word there, the Hebrew word there means do something that's ear splitting. So it's saying, first of all, dance for joy and shout to God his praises for all that you're worth and your joy. See your king shall come to you, a just savior. And it word just against that sabik, which means, uh, uh, 
uh, righteous, just. It means you are what you're supposed to be. He is the He is the just Savior. He's the Savior. He's supposed to be. And the word for Savior, there is Yasha, which means to be, uh, to, to, to make us, give us a place we're wide and safe. It's to give us the room to be what we're doing. And again, Yeshua HaMashiach, which is the name for Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ. That means Yeshua, or Jesus means Yahweh saves. So uh, we have to we have to see that he's there. And he says he is meek and riding on an ass. And if we look at John 12, 12, 15, uh, 12 to fifteen, we see Jesus entering Jerusalem. Remember, he was the people were uh, laying down the palm branches, and what was he riding? He was riding. It says uh, the uh, uh, he's on the young donkey, or, or some translations say ass. So he was on the colt. Now, why is that significant? Because it, it talks here about the the fool of an ass. Well, this what we have here is a prophecy of what happened uh, when Jesus entered Jerusalem triumphant. And the reason that that's so significant is that. Uh, when the king came in peace, he rode the donkey. That was a sign that he was coming in peace. If the king came in on a horse or with chariots, then that meant there was war. The horse and the chariot were instruments of war in the Hebrew culture, whereas the donkey was an instrument of peace. So it's he's saying he's coming in peace, and, and so he shall banish the chariot from Ephraim. He will get rid of the war. Now, who is Ephraim? It's, the name comes from one of the 12 uh, sons of Jacob, of Israel. And it's one of the tribes. And it means double fruit. But Ephraim is also the general name that is used for the northern kingdom, which rebelled against David and his descendants and fell into all kinds of idolatry and were carted off by the Assyrians uh, and went into dispersion. And most of them, nobody knows where they went. And they're called the, 12, the, the 10 lost tribes. And so he's going to take the chariot, this, this instrument of war, from the northern kingdom, from those of us who were rebe rebellious. So we could, many of us are more sons of Ephraim than we are sons of Judah. We tend to be rebellious. So he's wanting to, and so what we have when we are rebellious is God needs to deal with us as a rebellious person. So, but he wants to come and bring peace to us. So he's going to banish the chariot and the horse. Now, it's significant here. He talks about Jerusalem because Jerusalem is is the capital, but it really means like city of peace. It's a place of shalom. Uh, so he wants to bring us from Ephraim and put us in the place of peace. So he's saying the warrior's bow will be banished, and he's saying that he shall have, and his dominion shall be from sea to sea. Now that what's interesting there is if you look at the uh, note in the New Jerusalem Bible on verse nine of Zechariah. Uh, or chapter 9 of, verse, of Zechariah, the, the uh, note H, it says, the, the, the Messiah is to be humble, a characteristic attributed to the future pe people of God, renouncing the 
panoply of historic kings, etc., etc., the Messianic king will ride the traditional mount of princes. Jesus fulfilled this prophecy when he entered Jerusalem. Now, the other note here on nine J says that when he talks about this from sea to sea, uh, and uh, and uh, uh, from the river to the ends of the earth, <clears throat> he's talking about from the Mediterranean Sea down through the Gulf of Aqaba to the Dead Sea. So that's the from sea to sea, and the river uh, when it's spoken of, and particularly it's when it's capitalized. In scripture, it refers to the Euphrates River, which is up where Babylon was, and indefinitely towards the east. So that's what it's saying. So God is going to establish his kingdom, and he talks about proclaiming his peace to the nations. Now, the word for nations there is interesting in that uh, it means people. It's it's a Hebrew word goy, which is generally used of Gentiles. So it's saying that his peace is not just for those in the fold of Israel or for us in the fold of the church. His peace is he's meant for all people. And so he's going to he's going to find peace, but that peace is, is that word shalom, which means safety or completeness or soundness, uh, that our, our everything's going to be there for our welfare. And it's it's interesting that, that that's what God wants to do. But it depends upon whether we are willing to take on his yoke or not. The people in Ephraim were not willing to take on the yoke that God had given them. They wanted to stray after and do their own thing. Let's take a look at the, uh, the reading from the book of Romans. Uh, and this is Romans 8, 9, 8, verse 9, 11 through 13. Uh, it's interesting to me that uh, that we have so much there. You, you, in, in Romans, uh, this is talking about the flesh and the spirit. It says, you are not in the flesh. Now, the word flesh there is sarx, a stripped of skin. Uh, the Jerusalem Bible typically translates this as self-indulgence, which is yielding to the things that, that our uh, earthly self finds pleasurable. And so it says, on the contrary, you're in the spirit, which is the current of air. And if you remember in Genesis, I think it's chapter 2, Jesus created Adam, or God created Adam, and he breathed his life into him. The, the normal here is the Greek, in the Hebrew it's ruach, which means a breath, spirit, wind. God breathed his very breath into Adam. By nature of our baptism, God breathed the life, his, his life, his life into us, not just the life to live a physical life, but he breathed his life into us so that we can have, be spiritually born. And uh, we ha if you look at Romans both chapter 7 and 8, uh, you will see that Paul really struggled with this. Paul admitted his struggles with it. Chapter 7 just lists all these types of things, and he says, I don't know why I do the things I do, because I don't do the things I want to do. I do the things I don't want to do. So so Paul himself struggled with being obedient to what God wanted him to do. Paul struggled with sin. He talked to us about that also in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where he talked about that he asked God to remove from him, three times he asked him to remove from him, this thorn in the flesh, this thing that was really bothering him. And what God said is, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made best uh, strong in weakness. So we don't see it that way. But that's what it is. Now, Galatians also talks to us about that struggle with the flesh. And I'm going to read from the New Jerusalem Bible because it uses that word self-indulgence. It says, it says, 
I tell you, be guided by the Spirit, and you will no longer lead to self-indulgence or to the flesh. The desires of self-indulgence or the flesh are always in opposition to the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are in opposition to self-indulgence. They are opposites, one against the other. That is how you are prevented from doing the things you want to do. So Paul answers the question he had in chapter 7 of Romans that it's because his self-indulgence, and uh, we can we can think of that of as lust in its broadest sense, which means that you indulge yourself in the things that you find pleasurable. So uh, it's it's not necessarily what we want to do. Uh, what you've got addition to that is that you just don't know what's going to happen if you don't listen to the Spirit so let's let's take a look a little bit farther down it says if the Spirit of Jesus who who raised Christ from the dead Give, will give life to your mortal bodies. And that uh, life is that, uh, it's, uh, it's a uh, Greek word which I can't pronounce, but it means to vitalize or cause to live. So if your life is sort of blah, and you don't feel as though you have, you're alive, you, you know, we talk about, I don't feel alive. I'm just sort of burdened. I'm down. God wants to give you that life, and that life comes to you through the spirit that dwells in you and dwelling is 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 a living residing inside of you so that's what you need to look for the god residing in you be open to that open all the doors in, inside of you to allow god to bring his spirit into all aspects of your life since we are not debtors to the flesh so what is a debtor Who's got the note on your life? Does God have the note on your life, or does the devil have the note on your life? And so, the devil, the devil is going to find every way he can to repossess you. God wants to cancel the note and bring you into heaven. And so, we have to live according to the spirit rather than to the flesh. So, it's 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 a difficult thing to do, but we need to do it. I'm going to take just a really quick look at the responsorial psalm. Uh, and it, you know, the responsorial psalm is always something that the church gives us so that we can respond, particularly to the first reading. And it's, and it, the, the response is, I will praise your name forever, my King and my God. And what it's saying there is, who's the King of your life? Who's sitting on the throne of your life? Is God sitting on the throne of, the, of your life? Is the devil sitting on the throne of your life? Is Are your passions sitting on the throne of your life? Are you allowing somebody else to sit on the throne of your life? Who's sitting on the throne of your life? Is it God or somebody else? So God, if you've got God sitting on your throne, you will have reason to praise him because he is bringing about in your life all that is good. I thank you so much for listening today, and I hope you have a great week. And uh, I'm, I'm really happy that I was finally able to get this out to you.